you have your Bibles, would you please open to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Before we begin, let's um, open with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I pray that there would be a holy ring of fire around this place. I pray that your glory would be in the midst. The name of Jesus would be lifted high and uh, high and lifted up. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I was thinking today, as uh, before I came up here in the songs that we were singing, about the big idea of Second Timothy. And it just sort of came to my mind because as I, as we've been going through this book, I can relate to Timothy a lot. I mean, I've been in education for 35 years. I've been a teacher. I've been a coach. I've been an administrator. I've been an athletic director. And, you know, I, I'm just thankful for the opportunities that God has given me during this time. And I've been able and privileged to listen to great speakers. I remember being in Promise Keepers and listening to Howard Hendricks. I mean, our pastor was a great preacher. I mean, I enjoyed listening to him. But I've had the privilege of listening to Mike Ditka and Jim Moore and Grant Taft, great college coaches. Lou Holtz, you know, when I was in school, I had opportunities to be in the locker room when... I'll tell you, it, it was, there was, there was, I, I swear it'd be like a revival. If it wasn't church that was going on there, but there was so much emotion and so much, you know, just like insight that was going on that I was ready to hit that field. I mean, I was, whether I was the coach or whether I was a player. And when I see Second Timothy, the message that I hear is just, again, this holy boldness. Holy boldness. I was thinking about what was going on during Second Timothy during this time. I mean, there was intense persecution. I was thinking about what was going on in Acts. And there was persecution going on. And a verse that came to my mind as I was coming up here was, was Acts 4.29. Now it says, Now consider their threats and enable to your servant to speak your word with great boldness. Because you see, not only in chapter 1, in chapter 2, in chapter 3, in chapter 4, I mean, the Word of God is emphasized. But also, Paul is talking to Timothy not to fear. And why does he not have to fear? Well, there, what he says, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of love, power, and self-discipline. And why don't we have to fear? Because fear, what does fear do? Fear binds. Fear entangles. Fear cripples. But what does faith do? Faith. Faith in Christ. It brings freedom. It brings peace. And it brings holy boldness. And that's exactly what Timothy needed. So we've actually, if you think about this in terms of a race, there's four chapters in this book. And we've completed, you know, lap one and lap two and lap three. And we're about ready to enter lap four. So the title of this sermon is, Do You Have a Maranatha Mindset? Maranatha means, Oh, come, Lord Jesus. Oh, come, O oh Lord. And I re- remember there was an a author, his name was K.P. Yohannan, said one time, 
He says, do you have eternity stamped upon your eyes? And I think having that eternity stamped upon your eyes, having this Maranatha mindset, and having this holy boldness all go together. And it's something as, you know, as I go through this sermon today, I want you to be thinking about that. Thinking about Paul, who's in prison in Rome. He knows he doesn't have much time. He knows that he's going to be dying soon. And he's trying to encourage Timothy to fight the good fight, to finish the race, and to keep the faith. Because there are false teachers, and he's already talked about those in this book. So there are three important points that I want to cover in this idea of having this Maranatha mindset. First, you need to be faithful to your call. All of us have been called in one way or another. It might be, you know, as a pastor. It might be as, you know, person at your work and what you do working with, you know, children. It might be, but whatever God's called you to do, you need to be faithful to your call. I like what it says in Colossians 4, if I remember right. It says, tell Archippus to complete the work that you've received in the Lord. You've received the work and you need to complete that work. The second point is be faithfulness in confronting false teachers. That's what it's talking about here. And the third point is faithfulness leads to great rewards. And we'll be looking at verses 1 through 9. I like what Samuel Chadwick says. He said, men ablaze are invincible. Hell trembles when men are kindled. And I think that's what God wants. He wants us to be bold, not only in our faith. Just think about Abraham. He didn't even know where he was going. And he went, right? Think about Moses. I mean, he was afraid to go to Pharaoh. But when he got there, I mean, there was some holy boldness going on. Think about Daniel when he was in Babylon. I'll tell you what, he had wisdom intact, but he had boldness. If he was going to pray three times a day, knowing that they were going to kill him, right? He had holy boldness because he was going to do what was right. I like what A.W. Tozer said, I would rather what? You know I've said this before. I'd rather die right than what? Live wrong. I'd rather die right than live wrong. The title of the message, like I said today, is Do You Have a Maranatha Mindset? You may have heard of the Maranatha Singers. Or even read of the word Maranatha in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 16.22. It's an Aramaic expression. It means, come, O Lord. It was used in the early church as a greeting, but also in prayers as well, and regarding the Lord's return. I want you all to remember that this is Paul's last recorded letter in the Bible. He's sitting in a cold, damp prison cell in Rome, and he's awaiting execution. Paul had a Maranatha mindset. Paul says in today's reading, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, he's talking to Timothy, not only to me, but to you too, Timothy, and to every one of you. But also have have a longing for his appearing. Paul was very aware that his spiritual reality went well beyond the chains that bound him and the cell that enclosed him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Paul was very aware of this spiritual reality, that his spiritual reality went well beyond the chains that bound him and the walls that enclosed him. 
It is in this final chapter, chapter 4, of Paul's last letter, that he gives a solemn charge to this young disciple in the presence of God, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. Paul was continually living in a hope of Jesus Christ's appearing. Paul had been in the ministry for more over 30 years by now, and even in his earliest letters in First and Second Thessalonians, he speaks of Christ's return. After all these years, Paul still believed in the imminent return of Christ and the importance of being ready in season and out of season. Paul begins with verse 2. This is really important here. Paul begins with verse 2. Listen, it says, with a charge to Timothy. The word charge in Greek is often translated testified like in Acts 8.25. John Stott says, the Greek word has legal connections and could mean to testify under oath, as in a court of law, to order a witness to do so. I mean, this was an important thing. Paul was serious about this. He says, he says to Tim, he says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who, the will, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in the kingdom, I give you this charge. It's a, you, you, you don't have to doubt what Paul is saying right now to Timothy. This is important. So what was this passionate charge to Timothy, his beloved friend? It's to preach the word. It was to preach the word. Timothy wasn't just to study the word, just to memorize the word. He was to preach the word. And it wasn't just for leisure or entertainment. He was to preach the word. Timothy was not to be ashamed of the gospel or to be prepared. He was to be prepared at all times to rebuke, to, to encourage, and to do that with great patience and careful instruction. Notice this. Throughout all 2 Timothy, Paul has made references to the word of God. Like in verse 13, he says, Hold fast to the sound, sound words. In second. Uh, second chapter, verse 5, it says to rightly divide the word of truth. In chapter 3, verse 16, it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. In chapter 4, he says preach the word. In every single chapter of Second Timothy, Paul is referencing the importance of God's word. And you might ask why. Well, there's a reason for that. I saw this story. I thought it was pretty good. It says there was once a person at church who was gloriously saved and became a pastor. And Jesus had changed his life and he started preaching the gospel to the whole congregation. And they all got saved. And the bishop asked him, I hear you're always preaching about Jesus and you don't seem to be doing anything else. The changed man answered, Well, bishop, I only preach during two seasons of the year. And the bishop said, I'm glad to know that. What seasons are they? He replied, in season and out of season. I want you to notice this. The full weight. This is so important right here. I mean, you got to see this here. The full weight of verse 1 bears its entreaty on verse 2. So he's telling Timothy right here, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, rebuke, correct. Why? Because Paul is saying, in the presence of God, and of Jesus Christ, who's going to judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. I mean, that's pretty serious stuff right there. 
Timothy was to prepare, be prepared to preach in, in any given situation and ready to discharge all the duties of his ministry. He needed to be prepared to proclaim the hope that is found in Christ Jesus at any moment. And I don't think Paul could have emphasized this thought any more clearly to Timothy. Paul's words represent the main thought of every minister's charge. To preach the word, whether in teaching, rebuking, correcting, and encouraging. And he was to do it with great patience and careful instruction. D.L. Moody said, The scriptures are not given to increase knowledge, but to transform lives. Second point that I want to make is verses 3 and 4. Faithfulness in confronting false teachers. And Paul has already mentioned those false teachers in previous verses. Why did Paul give Timothy such a solemn charge? Verses 3 and 4 tell us that Christians must not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, nor fear false teachers who deceive people with their clever words, wild claims, or far-fetched promises. As I repeated, said earlier, Acts 4.29 says, Now consider their threats and enable your servant to proclaim your word with great boldness. When we walk in the light of God's presence, by faithfully being obedient to his word and always seeking the kingdom of God, we will have the assurance of victorious living in Christ. When we walk with Christ daily, and live completely for Him. There ought to be no room for fear, worry, or doubt to creep into the inner sanctum of the heart. I like what C.H. Spurgeon says, and you've heard me say this before too. Sin may enter the heart and fight for dominion, but it cannot sit upon the throne. That throne is only reserved for Jesus Christ and Him alone. Christians can confidently stand on the great and precious promises of God and have no fear of confronting evil. Why? Because in the song we sang today, it said, I am with you. Right? What does it say in Hebrews 13.6? It says, so we say with confidence, I will not be afraid. Why? Because he's going to be with us. He's my helper, it says. I will not be afraid. Jesus is our helper. We don't have to be afraid. He walks us through it. What does it say in Isaiah 41.10? Fear not. Why? Fear not. What are the next words? Fear not for I am with you. You don't have to be afraid. Timothy, you don't have to be afraid. Because he's with you. He's your helper. Christians can confidently stand on the great and precious promises of God and have not any, don't have fear about confronting evil. We can, we can courageously confront the lies of the adversary by putting on the full armor of God and the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. We hold firmly to the shield of faith and skillfully wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I really like what Joab said. He was one of David's military leaders. His declaration in 2 Samuel 10, 12. I mean, here's this leader encouraging his people. He says, Be strong. And let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. Paul tells Titus. Remember, it's in about 60, 61 AD. Paul's in prison the first time under house arrest in Rome. We read about that in Acts 28, right? And then he's released. And then he writes his pastoral epistles. 
And he writes Titus and he writes 1 Timothy. And remember, 2 Timothy is when he's in Rome the second time. And so he's writing this letter to Titus. And so this is about between 63 and 65, 66 AD. And he says, he writes to Titus the same thing about sound doctrine. I mean, he knows he's getting towards the end of his life. He's not going to live forever. And he's talking to Titus and Timothy about the same thing. He says, Paul is addressing the qualifications of eldership in Titus 1, but he says you must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by what? Sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now, sound doctrine in Greek literally means healthy doctrine. Timothy needed to have a keen awareness of others who would have itching ears, people who would who hear only what they want to hear. They wanted to have their ears scratched by words in keeping with their own evil desires. These people would gather teachers around them who would tell them what they wanted to hear rather than hear the truth. These false teachers would tickle their ears and turn people away from the truth as blind guys would lead them onto the path of destruction. I mean, you see this in Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.17. What does it say here? 2 Timothy 2.17. It says, Their teaching will spread like gangrene among them, are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. Now, gangrene to me sounds the opposite of like healthy doctrine, healthy teaching. And you know, I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder, who was the person that it says in chapter 4 that was with Paul in Rome? He says, only this person is with me. Do you remember who it is? It's Luke. And I wonder, what profession was Luke? I was just thinking about this as I was putting this together. What profession was Luke? A doctor. I just wonder if there was a great analogy saying, you know, their teaching is like gangrene. And instead of like healthy teaching. I wonder. But this is the sixth time that Paul has referenced the word of truth in 2 Timothy. He did that in 2.15. He did that in 2.18, 2.25, chapter 3, verse 7, verse 7 and verse 8. He spoke of truth five times in 1 Timothy and twice in Titus. These are Paul's last letters that are called the pastoral epistles. And Paul wrote that Paul wrote, having the truth boldly proclaimed was obviously a priority of Paul regarding the concern of the heresy that was entering into the church and possibly leading people away from the truth. He says, preach the truth. Third section, verses 9 through 11. Faithfulness leads to great rewards. As Paul neared the end of his life, he could confidently say that he had been faithful to his call. He could face death calmly and at peace. As I have stated before, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me There is a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, because he's talking to Timothy, and not only me, but to you, Timothy, be faithful to your call, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I go back to my original question, the title of this sermon. 
Do you have a Maranatha mindset? Paul did. Paul was obviously sharing that with Timothy. Are you eagerly expecting the return of Jesus Christ? Do you want Him? Because you know what? He lives in us. Do we share Paul's confident expectation of meeting Christ? Are we eagerly waiting His second coming? Are we standing firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured? Paul says to Timothy, this is important right here. You can just see this. Look at verse 5. It starts out, it goes, let me read verse 4. They turn, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. But you see the transition now in this sentence? But you. And he does that more than once. He does that multiple times in this book. He's saying, but you, Timothy. They're doing that. But you, Timothy. But you, Timothy. In chapter 3, verse 10, what does it say? He's talking about the godlessness in the ass days. And what does he say in verse 10? You, however. And it's in the Greek, it's written so that it's emphasized. You, Timothy. And he does that again in verse 14 of chapter 3. But as for you, Timothy, do you see what he's doing? He's saying, you, Timothy, fight the good fight. Keep the faith. You know, don't, don't be swayed and tossed to and fro by whatever wind and doctrine. Remember, that was in Ephesians he talks about that. Do you remember where Timothy was left to, for the church? And that was in Ephesus. Makes you think about that too, doesn't it? But it says, but you, Timothy, remain like remain cool-headed in the face of challenging situations. But you, Timothy, endure hardships. Oh, we got to go back to this word. Remember in chapter 2, verse 12, it says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. And remember, we looked up that word. I did. It was a Greek word, hypomeno. And it was used as a military term. And it was used as an army holding a vital position on a hill. Do you get the image? I mean, I don't speak Greek. I mean, I can see what it means, but I can see this. If I were understanding Greek and it says, Timothy, hold the hill. That's the picture. But you, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. But you, Timothy, discharge all the duties of your ministry. I hear that same clarion call from the scriptures. And hopefully you hear the same. Do you hear that? But you, Vivian. But you, David. But you, Ryan. Do you have a Maranatha mindset? But you, Rachel. But you, Anna. But all of you. That's what he's saying. But you, do the work. Do the work that you've been called to do. In verse 6, we see Paul's view of his approaching death as an offering poured out to God. As a libation, it was a drink offering poured out to the Lord as a sacrifice on the altar. And it talks about that in Numbers chapter 28, verses 4 through 7. When Paul was under house arrest in Rome, a few years earlier, he says the same thing in Philippians 2.17. But even if I was being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Paul saw his life as a living sacrifice to God. Poured out 
to fulfill the mission of Christ and to bring glory to God. And you know my favorite Bible verse. What's my favorite Bible verse? First Corinthians 10.31 Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Paul knew that this time, this time when he was writing this letter, as he sat in that Roman prison, there would probably not come in a release unless there was something supernatural like it had when he was Philippi and there was an earthquake or whether it would happen with Peter and there was an angel that led him out of the prison. I mean, he knew that this was probably it. It was now time for his departure. I mean, this was used as a, a traveling term, but it was also commonly used as a euphemism for death. I mean, that's what he's saying. It's time for his departure. In verse 7, Paul looks back over his life. I want to read this to you. Let's look at that. Verse 7. It says, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have longed for his appearing. Verse 7, Paul looks back on his life, like I said. As an athlete who has successfully participated in a rigorous contest, he cries out, crossing the finish line victoriously, That those words. In 1 Corinthians 4.2, it says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must be proved faithful. And he was saying the same thing to Timothy too. It's not a casual suggestion or a flippant hint or a frivolous idea. It was. It's required that all who have been given a trust be proved faithful. Just to re, it made me think of um, chapter two, verse fifteen. Remember of our uh, Awana theme verse it says, "Do your best to present yourself to God." as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And remember that when I think of that verse, remember from that sermon, um, what Jim Elliot said? The, what does it mean? Approved unto God. What did he say when he was at Wheaton and he was going to school and he said this is the kind of degree that he wanted. He wanted an AUG degree, approved unto God. Remember he was the one, the missionary that went to Ecuador. He wanted to be approved unto God. Remember we studied about the Greek word dokimos, approved, right? Fire tested. And that's what Timothy was going through right now. He's been fire tested. But you can come out in the end and you, there will be a reward there. That's what he's saying. Child of the king or a steward of the master must take their calling seriously and prove faithful. It is a delight to be pleasing in the master's service. In verse 8, Paul continues the metaphor of the athletic contest. The victor of the race would be rewarded a wreath to be placed on the winner's head. And as a result of his faithfulness to the Lord, Paul had no fear in facing Jesus, the righteous king. There was awaiting for him a crown of righteousness ready for him. And Paul let Timothy know that that crown would be waiting not only for Paul, but for all of those who have longed for his appearing, Maranatha mindset. Martin Luther said, there are two days on my calendar. There's this day and there's that day. Regarding this day, this day is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it, regardless of circumstances. 
But there is also that day. That glorious day of Jesus appears. Remember in verse 1 that Paul gave Timothy this charge regarding the preaching of the word in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I believe, like Martin Luther, there are true, two very important days in a Christian's life. There is this day, there is this day, that you, you can't worry about tomorrow, because you don't even know what tomorrow holds. Why are you going to worry about the past? It's already happened. So you worry about, I mean, you do what God wants you to do today. You fix your eyes on Christ for today. Right? But there is that day. That day. This is the day that, uh, there's this day and that day. That day when we will see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ face to face. That day when every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning, no crying, no pain. For the old order of things will be passed away. And there will be a heavenly chorus of praise and glory. And I want to be there. I want to be there singing with the heavenly chorus. And I want to have a crown to cast before his throne. And singing, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will they were created and have their being. J. Oswald Sanders writes, The crown is awarded to those who have completed the Christian race with integrity. Their eyes are fixed on the coming Lord. It is the reward for fulfilling the ministry entrusted to one. There are two main words for crown in the New Testament. One refers to a royal crown. And the other refers to a victor's crown. That's this word. Here Paul is referred to the victor's crown. The crown that was essentially a trophy, recognizing that one has competed according to the rules and had won the victory. And guess who has won the victory already? Jesus Christ. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you have welcomed Christ into your life and you long for His appearing, and are faithfully running the race that God has called you, then that same prize awaits you. You can count on it. You can plan on it. You can anticipate it. Why? It's a promise from God. Are you about your father's business today? Are you ready for that day? Do you have a Maranatha mindset with your eyes fixed on Christ, and have God's word in your heart like a fire. A fire shut up in your bones. And you cannot hold it in like Jeremiah said. Paul knew that there was a crown that was waiting for him in heaven. And he was ready to receive it. He was certain of it. And so can we. There's a poem that I want to read. Run the straight race through God's good grace. Lift up your eyes and seek His face. Life with its way before us lies. Christ is the path and Christ is the prize. Maranatha. Thanks be to God. Let's close in prayer.
Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you that we don't have to live a life of fear. We don't have to live a life of being worried. We don't have to live in doubt. We can cast our cares upon you and we can face life's troubles, whatever comes our way, because you are with us. And how do we know that? Because you've promised that. Oh, Lord, I pray that this day, whatever things come before this church, whatever comes before us in our individual lives, that we will seek Christ because he is the path, he is the way, and he is the prize. And we are thankful Thankful that you love us so much. How do we know? You came to die for us. I mean, if, if you've, you made a covenant for us, and you, you came and you died for us, how can we deny how much you love us? That's how much you love us, that you stretched your arm out, arms out on the cross and you died. And Lord, our, our desire is just to be pleasing in your sight, to do your will. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.